Good morning. Um, it is uh, it is great to be back amongst you. It's nice to know that the place is starting to fall apart without me already. Projectors broke, overgrown with weeds and plants. The whole place is going to the dogs without me, clearly. Um, and you're all just thinking, do we not just get rid of this guy? Um, it is great to be back with you this morning. It's lovely to walk in this morning and and to be welcomed, but for, for almost everybody to say, is your wife not here? <laughs> Apparently, you know, now that she is a, a minor celebrity, um, I don't know if you saw, she was in a, a program on the BBC, um, what was it, school parents evening, um, this week, um, which, you know, she thought was going to be on at like half ten on BBC Two on a Monday night or something, and then found out it was on sort of Monday prime time and then repeated on Saturday nights. Um, so she was real happy about that. Um, she, she's, not, she's not in hiding or anything. Um, she is away for a, a, a trip uh, to Sorrento in Italy, so she's having a great time. Um, and she's left me with a number of microwavable meals for the week, so um, that'll keep me in hell. But it is, it is lovely to be back with you. And, and just before we come to, to think about that reading uh, and what God's going to say to us through it, let's, let's just pray. Lord, we are uh, here today to, to worship you. We're here to lift up our praise um, and our thanks to you, the God who, who has given to us so much. But we're also here, Lord, to hear from you. We're here to sit under your, your life-giving, life-changing word. And Lord, as we come to think about your word now, we pray that you would be with us all. I pray, Lord, that as I speak, that you would speak through me. I pray, Lord, that these would be your words, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you would let us know um, what it is you would have us do. Amen. Um, it's good to see that, that very little around here changes. For two years, and I've said this before up here, Christoph claims that he randomly assigns the Bible passages that we're all going to look at. But it always seems to be that Monty and I have always ended up with the difficult stuff. Uh, and today, the passage I've been given is right at the start, as, as Billy said, of the Sodom and Gomorrah narrative. One of those passages in the Old Testament that, that causes a lot of problems for people. And we're, we are going to be touching on it as we go along. Um, but actually, the main thrust of this passage... And the bit that we're really going to be thinking about this morning is verse 19. And in this big Bible overview that you're doing at the minute, thinking about, about what God says the mission and the purpose of his people really is, in verse 19, we see God revealed to us, revealed to us through, through what he says to Abraham, that his people are those who keep the way of the Lord or walk in his ways. And this verse, it also tells us how that all works. It says we can walk in God's ways because we have been chosen. We can walk in God's ways because we are growing more and more like him. And that walking in God's way is a blessing that we should share with the world. So firstly, we can walk in God's ways because we have been chosen. And immediately you might say, well, okay, 
But this verse, it isn't about us. It's about Abraham. And that's true. It says, for I have chosen him. So the question we might ask then is, why Abraham? Why choose him? If you look to Hebrews 11, it makes this great case for Abraham as this, this man of, of incredible faith, willing to pick up everything and follow God into the unknown, willing as a, as a very old man to, to trust God with Isaac's life, knowing that the, the covenant promise uh, the covenant promise that God had made him that they would become this, this great nation of blessing would still somehow come to pass. But Abraham, although he had more faith than, than many of us often have, he was far from perfect. He often lacked faith. And he regularly dece- deceived other people. He told Pharaoh that, that Sarah was, was only his sister. Now, technically, she was his half-sister. You'll not find that in the children's Bible. But he told Pharaoh this, this half-truth, this deception, causing him to bring her into his harem and therefore bring God's judgment down upon him. And Abraham, he didn't trust God's promise or timing, sleeping with, with Hagar to try and produce this promised child. And then again in, verse, or in chapter 20, The next time we meet Abraham after this passage, he's back again to his deceptive ways, playing the the Sarah is only my sister card again with Abimelech. See, Abraham, although he demonstrates amazing faith and obedience at times, is far from righteous. So why him? Yeah, he he was part of the, the line of promise, that promise of a, a seed of Eve who would, who would crush the head of the, the serpent, the one who would deal with and, and overcome the, the devastating consequences of the fall. Abraham is, is from the line of, of Seth, Adam and Eve's third son. But the people had multiplied greatly by this point. And there were probably thousands, if not tens of thousands of options for God to choose. So why Abraham? And the answer is is actually frustratingly simple. God chose Abraham because in his grace and mercy, that's who he chose. Abraham, this this probable moon worshiper, living in Ur, a land of, of adultery, a land of idol worship, who didn't know the one true God or live in obedience to him, And yet God, in his wisdom, chooses him to be the father of his people. Not because of of merit or worth or birth, but because that's who he chose to make his promises a reality. So what's this got to do with us? Well, the covenant, the, the promise made with Abraham, it wasn't just for Abraham. It wasn't just even for his direct family and descendants, but it also included his household, his servants, anyone who entered and joined this family. We see that in in chapter 17. In fact, the law, when it was established, allowed anyone 
who wanted to reject the, the adulterous and evil ways of the other nations and follow Yahweh and become part of this nation to do so. Ruth, the, the Moabite, is probably one of the most famous examples of that. She becomes so much a part of the nation of Israel that she's included in the genealogy of, of Jesus Christ. And when we look at, at passages like Romans 4 and Galatians 3, they tell us that we who are in Christ have also been chosen by God and brought by grace into this same family. That we are the spiritual descendants of Abraham, standing by faith on the same promises given to us by God. The promise to, to make God's people into a great nation, a nation both blessed and a blessing by walking in the ways of God. For Abraham, it was a, a promise to come. For us, we've seen the reality of it. The promise fulfilled by Jesus coming to earth and calling the nations to himself. That seed of Eve, of Abraham, of David, God made flesh, dealing with the problem of, of sin on the cross, rising from the dead, defeating the powers of death itself, and thereby opening up the way for all of God's people to be able to walk with him like we were made and created to do. To be blessed by having real life with our maker, saved from the, the judgment and wrath that we deserve, to instead be a nation of God's people, a people of all races, united by Christ, and called to share this blessing we've received with others. Romans 4, um, 18 to 25 says this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteous for, the, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. See, the Bible is, is one story. One story about God rescuing and being in relationship with his people. And if we're a part of his kingdom of life and blessing, then we should wake up each and every day thanking God thanking God that he has chosen to make you and me his people. Because just like Abraham, we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it, and we never can. We receive it only because our great and loving God has chosen 
to be merciful to us. Maybe today you need to respond to that call. Perhaps you're sitting here. Maybe you've been here for a short while. Maybe you've been here for a long time. And you know you're not in relationship with Jesus. You know you're not in relationship with God. You know you haven't put your faith in him. But you're maybe feeling that, that pull. God calling you into this life of blessing with him. Maybe you've been been brought along by parents or guardians or whoever for, for years. You do all the churchy stuff, but you've never really had any sort of real relationship with Jesus. Maybe you are a parent or someone who, who's been here a while and, and you like the community, you like the teaching even, but then you leave and you just go about your week and you never really give it another thought. Maybe today is the day. The day you leave your error behind and all the nonsense of this world that you worship and you put your trust in that only ever lets you down and instead you follow God. Follow him to wherever he might lead you, putting your faith in all that he has done for you and promises to you. I'll be about for a while at the end if anybody wants to chat about that. And I know that Christoph is, is always available for that conversation. We're meant to be talking about walking in God's way. And I've spent a good chunk of my time this morning talking instead about being chosen by God. And I've done that deliberately. Because a sermon about walking in God's way can very easily become a, a moral message about reading your Bible more, praying more, evangelizing more, serving more, doing more, generally just being better than what you were when you walked in. And although doing those things is brilliant, and we should be doing all of those things more, it's not a big jump to start thinking that the purpose here is to please God. If we do these things, God will will be pleased with us. He'll like us. He'll accept us. We'll gain his favor. We'll earn his love. And so I just wanted to really remind us that we have been chosen by God. We've already earned his favor. We've earned it by his grace, not our goodness. Because if it was up to our goodness, we would be scuppered. We'd be in big trouble. Or at least I would. But here in this verse, and right throughout Scripture, God chooses broken, fallen people. He rescues them. And then he calls them in their gratitude, in their thankfulness, to live for him. Not to keep a set of rules, but to live out the very character of God. That's what the the moral law, that's what that that whole chunk at the start of the Bible is all about. It's not about rules that we need to keep. It's about showing us who God is and the way to live the best life, the life we were created for and that sin has ruined, a life that should be a beacon of hope and light to other people, 
lost in their own darkness. That's what Abraham is being called to be. That's what he's being called to teach to his family and his descendants. But keep in mind that this is, this is before the law, before there's even a nation. Abraham is only beginning. He's only starting out on this relationship of finding out and knowing who this God really is and what he's all about. And so God calls him to two things, to walk in righteousness and justice. God, being fully right and just, calls his followers to be the same. And that's why this conversation is set within the wider context of God destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. See, God is calling Abraham and and all of those who would follow him from this point forward, including us, to walk in his ways. And so he demonstrates his ways. And you might now be thinking, do we really want to be like that God? The God who destroyed these two cities? Is this not a God of, of, of wrath and judgment? Not justice and righteousness. Let's take a very quick look at the story. Why is it that God comes to destroy these cities? We saw this in the, the reading that Billy did for us earlier. Is it because their, their sin has become so great? Or because they've, they've pushed God too far finally? Both those things are true. But that isn't all that's going on there. Verse 21 says he comes because he has heard the cries of the oppressed. You see, injustice is rife in Sodom. There is abuse of power, or abuse of the poor and the powerless. There's sexual deviancy and depravity of all sorts. We see some of that in the next chapter. And the outcry of those being hurt and abused by the selfish desires of others is what stirs God into action. He is righteous. He defends the poor, the marginalized, those who are being abused, those who cannot speak and stand up for themselves. And he calls us to do the same, to show people in practical ways the love and the righteousness of the God that we follow. Last week, uh, Christoph was talking about the work of, of, of places like Globe Cafe, um, the work you're doing with Home for Good, which is amazing, and lots of other great things um, that you're involved in. It was, it was great to hear about those on the podcast. Today, we've seen the support you give to Storehouse, which is amazing. It's been amazing to see members of this congregation, members of this church family appearing on our media, defending the rights of the unborn and those who might be born just a little bit more unique and who could be wiped out by this coming abortion legislation. Are we living lives that stand up for righteousness? Are we people who are known for our concern and our love, not for ourselves and our own selfish wants, but our concern for others? 
Are we concerned for their souls? Are we concerned for their lives? Do we keep our eyes and ears open to hear the cries of the oppressed? And do we care? Are we ready to respond? So we're to live out lives that, that demonstrate God's righteousness and his justice. What do we know about God's justice? Well, thankfully, it isn't very just. If God treated us with the justice that we deserved for constantly living in opposition to him, we would be destroyed in an instant. God is holy. And sin cannot exist in his presence. Cannot be part of him. He's perfect. And so there will be a final true justice for those who choose to live in sin and for themselves rather than to live in Christ. To live knowing that he has taken the punishment for us and made us clean by his perfection. God's full judgment and fair justice is coming. But when we read the Bible, we see a God who holds back justice and instead shows mercy. Even here, where we see a taste of God's justice and judgment, we still see incredible mercy. In verse 23, in that discussion that Abraham has with God where he pleads for Sodom, God says that if he were to find even 10 righteous people in all of Sodom, he wouldn't destroy it. And when God says that word righteous, he doesn't mean the same righteousness that he has. He's not saying, if I find 10 perfect people, because we know 10 perfect people don't exist. He's using that word in the same way he uses it of Noah, the same way he uses it of Abraham. He's saying people who are trying people who are directing themselves towards me, who are trying to live righteous lives. If only 10 of them could be found in this massive metropolis, then he wouldn't destroy it. And when we read on in chapter 19, we see God rescue the family of Lot, one who did act with righteousness and justice towards the angels who visited him even going so far as to be willing to give up his own daughters to save these visitors he barely knew. To live lives of, of justice, that justice of God, it, it actually often means to forgive as we have been forgiven. It means to be merciful instead of judgmental. But it doesn't mean that we accept unrepentant sin in the lives of others. See, God, God shows mercy. He offers forgiveness through his son who he gave to save us. But he's also shown us his character and his way. The pages of his word are filled with who he is and the life that he calls us to as his people. And he commands us to share it with others. Even in a culture of sin, even in a culture that will, that will see it as repressive rather than freeing. You see, to not live 
in God's way in front of others, to not share God's way of life with others, that's not showing righteousness and justice. It's not showing the mercy or love as some believe. It's actually just leading them down that path of death and destruction. You see, we're called to walk in the ways of God, living out and showing biblical righteousness and justice to everyone that we meet, growing in our understanding of who God is and by the help of His Spirit, living more and more like Him in the world. So we have been blessed. We have been blessed by being chosen by God, enabled by the Spirit to live this life of righteousness and justice, walking in His ways. And this blessing is one that we're called to share, to share with the world. Matthew 9, 37. Then He said to His disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I had to get the harvest in somewhere. I wonder though, do you believe that? That the harvest is plentiful? I wonder, do you look around this, this building, the streets around here, or the streets where you live, you work, your school, your college, your uni, and think, there are so many people here ready to hear and respond to the gospel. Or I wonder when you look at the, the fields that you work in, do you think they're full of weeds, diseased plants, people who have no interest at all in hearing about sin, their need for a savior, one that can bring life and hope into darkness, one that can give us hope for the future? Do you think you'll just encounter people who will cause you no end of trouble for daring to speak about and live out the blessing that you have received from God? See, God says our fields are ripe for the picking. And he's called us to be his workers picking the wheat that, that he, through his spirit, has been growing and cultivating in the lives of people who may not even know it until you begin that conversation with them. Um, I, was, I was on the train the other day. I was actually prepping for this sermon, um, trying to squeeze it in. I managed to get myself a wee table. And you know you're having a good day when you can get to one of the, the, ta the tables in the train. You know, that's a, that's a good day when you don't have to stand. And not only do you get a seat, you get a seat at the table. Um, and I was sitting there and I was reading, I was scribbling all over uh, Chris Wright's Mission of God's People book, which is the, the book we're kind of using for the, the chapter or the titles of these sermons and, and to give us a bit of a steer. And a stop or two into the journey, a girl sat down opposite me. And I was working away, didn't really pay any attention to her. And a couple of minutes later, she sort of tapped on the top of my page, and she asked what I was reading. She must have noticed some of the, the words on the top of the page, 
And what followed was a 20-minute conversation with someone who described themselves as a total atheist. She had pretty strong views on what she thought the Bible and certain Bible writers had said. And I was able in that 20 minutes to share something, probably not very well, of what I believe the Bible was really all about. It was all very civil and good-natured. I'm not telling you this. She did, she did not become a Christian after 10 minutes of me talking to her or anything like that. But we had a good chat. We shook hands. We went our separate ways. I don't know if it was any help to her. I don't know if it will make any difference to her at all. But I trust that God put us on that train and encouraged her to ask me that question for a reason. But what it left me thinking was maybe there is more of a harvest waiting in the fields around us than we, in our fear, in our apathy, in our unbelief, in our busyness, might like to believe. Maybe there are people out there who are ready to talk about faith, about Jesus, about their brokenness, about what this life Christ offers is all about, but there's nobody to talk to. Or at least there doesn't seem to be too many Christians who seem that interested. From some of the earliest chapters of the Bible, we, the people chosen by God to be His, are called to live for Him, to walk in His ways, and share this blessing of life now and for eternity that we have with everyone we meet so that they might also come to know the life-saving, life-giving blessing of Christ in their lives as well. So let's get our wellies on and let's get out into the fields this week and pray that the picking might be good. Shall we pray?